0: Guys, it's another episode of Q and A Tuesday here on our Q and A podcast. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I'm going to jump right into it. First question comes from Joshua. What's the Hong Kong operation like? Do you see yourself expanding here in USA? How can I do wholesale purchases for Marcus? I need T-shirts, shoes to start. Joshua, well, wow, it's a slew of certainly a different question. My Hong Kong operation is actually very simple. I have a small office in Hong Kong, which I share with a friend of mine. I have two employees over there. Over the last two years, that office has been more or less dead because this, the country is closed. I haven't been able to visit my own office in the last two years. In fact, last time I was there was September 2019. I know it's terrible, but Hong Kong serves as a huge hub for us to receive merchandise, to ship merchandise, to deal with our overseas clients, all, all of Middle Eastern clients, as well as Asian clients. It's a good place to have. So that operation uh, is, again, more or less, a hub to receive goods, to sell goods, to have clients come in to look at goods. And I have the staff there to support that. Do you see yourself expanding here in the USA? We're talking about a retail operation in some future uh, with taking our business from mainly wholesale to retail over the last year to year and a half. I believe that a retail location is inevitable. The only issues that we're facing or the number one issue that we're facing, I'll tell you, well, shouldn't say the only, I'll give you the main issue that we're facing because there are other issues with open up a retail operation is location. Right now, we're at an industrial boulevard, right? Our address is literally industrial boulevard. Uh, We're out of sight, out of mind because we want it that way. We're not looking to have a whole lot of public come in. But with the exposure that we're getting with some of the stuff we've been doing on YouTube, uh, Instagram, and other social media platforms, we it's inevitable for us to have a retail space. The one big issue that we face, let's say I went out and I opened up a big concept store in Miami. I'm not concerned about the expenses behind them of building that store, staffing, et cetera. minor issue. The problem is is at the rate that we're selling watches. I mean, this year we're on track to hopefully do over $130 million a year. That's 10 plus million dollars of sales a month. What does that tell you? If I open up a retail operation, I take all my merchandise and I send it over there to sit on the shelves for retail clients to come in and look at, that location will essentially become a drop shipping shop. It'll literally be another shipping room. Because at the rate that we're selling watches online here, I would have to go out there and almost basically create a completely separate inventory for that particular location. And that's when it gets expensive. To fill up a store, a nice concept store, one that you know people wouldn't be disappointed walking into, uh, it'd probably be another 25 to $30 million worth of goods that I would have to put in there alone and tie those goods up for that store and that store specifically. And that's when you start to figure out whether or not that's actually Worth it uh, financially, if you know what I mean. So that's kind of it is up in the air. It is something that we are certainly uh, looking into, uh, but uh, for now, no uh, concrete plans, if you will. Last but not least, you want to do wholesale purchases for my son Marcus. Uh, do me a favor, email me your information, Roman at luxurybazaar.com, and I'll put you in touch with my son. Hopefully, you guys can do some business. Number two, Chris writes, if you were starting an online business from scratch, uh, example, eBay, Amazon, Shopify, etc., what product or products would you recommend to start with? Uh, That's a tough question to answer. It depends on what, it depends. Do you wanna specialize in something? Do you wanna have a little bit of everything? Uh, For me, diversity was always key, which is why you can come to us and buy a $100 watch and a $1 million watch, a $50 ring, and a $500,000 necklace, along with luxury accessories, et cetera. Uh, It's really up to you. That's not a question that I can answer for you. Uh, It depends on your budget. If you have a particular budget in mind that you're going to start with, uh, and the platform you're gonna go with. you're going to go with ebay you can simply not reinvent the wheel look at the most popular products on ebay try to source them at a price lower than that they're selling for and go that route if you're looking to specify uh, specialize in something special something rare like perhaps uh, certain rare watches and open up your own website keep in mind that by opening up a website be it a shopify website or a magenta website it doesn't really matter you're going to have uh it's going to be hard to drive traffic to that website and create a name for yourself. So there is no one recommendation uh, to starting a business from scratch. My only recommendation that I can make is that it's knowledge that sells. The only one advice I will give you is that it's not about the product, it's about knowledge, first and foremost. I've said it numerous times before, you have to educate your consumer to a point where they feel stupid to buy anywhere else regardless of price but you, right? Uh, within reason obviously so my one advice I'll I'll give you is that whatever it is you're going to sell make sure that you're knowledgeable in what you're selling and are actually passionate about it Next, I have a question from Nima. Nima says, do you think new Zenith watches are more undesirable due to Zenith being part of the LVMH group? Moving it's a class, but the LVMH group puts me off of them for some reason, Nima. Yes. I've heard people say that the minute a particular brand is bought over by a Big Groom Bead Swatch Group, Richmond Group, etc., there is a bit of a turnoff because at the end of the day, when these groups purchase these companies, be it Panerai, be it Zenith or any other brand out there really for that matter, they look to what? Uh, let's say you go out there and you buy something for $5, right? Well- and as any investor, you look to recoup your investment, you look to make a return on your investment. Those returns are sort of set in stone A big boardrooms and big finance gurus that are sitting at the top, right? So a lot of times when a brand is bought over, they take different approaches. They either make it even more exclusive, raise prices, and, uh, re- and uh, let's say cut production, uh, and let's say cut production, or they start pumping out more watches. They start you know, cheapening out on certain things and, and uh, making certain things in-house that can be used across multiple brands. And and that tends, tends to turn collectors off. But mostly I think it's the whole idea of, oh, well, Zenith is no longer Zenith, right? Zenith is now part of Image. Or Panerai is no longer pure Panerai. It's now a part of the Richmond group and they're doing whatever they're doing. It's sort of a mindset of the collector that drives that. But to answer your question, uh, yes, I have found that there are brands out there once they become part of a big group they become less desirable And you got guys out there looking for pre-vendome panerize you guys you got you got guys out there looking for Zeniths. you know pre lvmh etc etc sort of to get the pure product does it make it does it mean that the zenith is uh worse now than it was in terms of quality now that it's part of lvmh most likely not but It's that mindset that sort of makes them less desirable the minute a big group takes over. Of course, at the same token, there are guys out there that will deem it more desirable now that they're part of the LVMH group or any other big group because now they're thinking, okay, now that the big group is behind them, there's lots of longevity. Uh, The brand is going to stick around and it's going to do well. So it can go either way, really. Brian asks, do you think small watches will make a comeback soon? Here's the misconception, Uh, the big misconception. And again, the big watch craze started, I'm going to say, somewhere around the 04, 05 period. This is when Audemars Piguet offshore started to pick up steam. Big Panerai started to pick up steam. Everybody started going bigger and bigger and bigger. And that now is no longer a trend, now it's here to stay. It's sort of like I talked about different materials and watches, uh, you know, Titania was a novelty a while back, now all of a sudden it's the norm. Ceramic was a novelty not too long ago, now it's becoming the norm, everybody's using ceramic. Even stuff from Richard meal like NTPT or carbon cases are becoming a norm in whichever variations or name they decide to, you know, name these quote unquote plastic watches, right? So small watches never went away just because bigger watches became popular and people want bigger watches and you're looking at manufacturers out there uh, you know putting out watches that are seemingly bigger and bigger and bigger doesn't mean that small watches have gone away but the reality is that small watches have never gone away i have a gazillion customers out there that will not put on a watch that's bigger than 36 millimeters because they like to wear their watches true to size true to size true to size of their wrist. I'm one of the guys that watches that wears watches that are too big for him, right? I'll put on a 44 millimeter Offshore, right? I'll put on sometimes even a 48 millimeter T3, which is way, way too big for me, but I don't mind that look, right? So in reality, there's no comeback to make. Small watches are not going away. Literally pick 10 random brands, go to their website, look at their lineup, and look at the sizing, right? You will always find sizes from small to big. There's still brands out there that won't make huge watches. Patek is one of them. How many big paddocks out there that you know they're in the bigger millimeter size, right? They've gone up to that 42 millimeter size, which is really not big or small, sort of like in the middle. But unless you get into that really high complications like the Skyman tourbillons, a watch that needs the real estate space to be able to fit in all the stuff that the watch has, you're still gonna see an average size of under 40 millimeters, right? Or at at least at that 40 millimeter mark, which is still kind of small. I want to take one more question from Max. It says, thoughts on the Rolex... Actually, hold on. So, whatever I said prior to that, scratch it, We're going to start this last question from scratch. I'm going to take one more question from Max. Uh, thoughts on the Rolex Commando? Have you come across many? Uh, to I can give you the short answer or I can give you the long answer, but for those of you guys that know me, it's I say it's a short answer, but it never is. The short answer is, though, I have not come across many. What do I think of the watch? I think it's cool as all hell. Any... Rolex is out there become collectible when there are less of them. And a lot of guys say well it's due to the dial and the you know conjar dials and, and this dial and the other dial and so on and so forth or the commando dial for say. With that said when you get a Rolex with a dial, a sign dial, a stamp dial, a logo dial, all that means is there were a lot less of those than the regular production of that particular watch. When you get into a watch like the Commando, these are watches that were particularly made for let's say retailers and military just the same, right? Which means again, there are less of them. Uh, for this particular one there's less of them because they're only made for a couple of years now Abercrombie and Fitch right usually you think about Abercrombie and Fitch you think about good looking half naked people standing in front of the door well that's today well back in the day Abercrombie and Fitch was sort of that elite outdoors outfitter right uh Theodore Roosevelt, Ernest Hemingway, right? Those are the guys that love uh, Abercrombie and Fitch, but that's not what this is about. Uh, we're here to talk about the Rolex Commando, right? So um, Abercrombie and Fitch also did stuff with Tag Heuer, right, through the fifties and the sixties, right? They made they made a, a Tag Heuer made a lot of Abercrombie branded models, right, uh, and those are extremely collectible today, but we both know that Rolex is the most collectible brand, right? The Rolex Commander at the time, mind you, was the cheapest Rolex made. Uh, It was the cheapest Rolex in the catalog. It sold for about a hundred bucks, right? Which I know at the time, Rolex Submariner was what, $200, $220. So less than half price, if you will. Uh, It was a reference 6429. It was only sold in the United States and only through two channels, right? Military bases and Abercrombie and Finch, as I I mentioned. Uh, Every example uh, that's, been offered for sale has been sort of in a tight serial number range that two million range right which means the command produced for just a year or two in the late 60s uh, or 70s depending on which role of serial number chart you actually tend to trust right in any event it makes it a super rare model because again made for a short amount of time right uh It was an Oyster case, 34 millimeters, uh, had the Explorer dial, which is a 369 layout, uh, made famous by the Explorer. Um, The dial of the reference 6429 is either printed with command at 6 o'clock or left blank right? uh, The Caliber is best known for also powering other simple Rolex. Oyster models like 6294 or 6694. The Aberkombie ad uh, features, if you look at an old Aberkombie ad, you can just Google it, uh, Commando Aberkombie uh, ad, and you'll see that it shows the Oyster bracelet. But it's difficult to know if the Commando may also have been offered for sale without the bracelet. Perhaps military guys would have had the option to purchase a NATO strap instead. Nobody really knows. What's the story behind it? Some will claim they're two versions, right, of the Commando. The printed with the Commando at 6 o'clock or left blanks. The theory claims that the blank version was sold at military post exchanges or the PXs, right, while the Commando stamp version was sold at Abercrombie and Fitch. The second theory claims that the Commando was first offered exclusively at military PXs. A couple years later, the watch was sold at Abercrombie and Fitch to get rid of Rolex's remaining inventory. Under this theory, the Commando was sold at military PXs for a couple years in the late 60s and then early 70s and Abercrombie in 1972. Which one is true. Nobody really knows. We all know Rolos keeps crappy records, so uh, this is sort of the two theories out there. So, uh, a little bit of a background. Uh, conclusions. These models pop up rarely, right? Only I've only seen a few in auctions that tend to command attention. Uh, I think, uh, I was just to say too recent, but I think 2016 Chr- Chrissy sold one for Eight thousand dollars, right? But today, but today uh, you'll see them from twenty-five thousand to seventy-five thousand if you're lucky to find one. If I were to want, if I were to find a mint example with a beautiful dial, all original, today with the bracelet, I don't think that's a watch I would even. I don't think that's a watch I would even sell, if you will. So to go back to your original questions, that I, I pretty much like any Rolex that has a stamped dial, or a Rolex that was made for a particular retailer, or a Rolex that something out of the norm, if you will, right? And the Commander is one of those Rolexes to me. Of course, the downsize is it's small size. It's only a 34 millimeter. But then if you go back to that error, most of those collectibles Rolexes are going to be sub 40 millimeters. They're going to be on a smaller side. Some are even sub 38 or 37 millimeters. Uh, is this something that I suggest you get out there and try to find a nice example of? Absolutely. It's one of the rarer Rolexes out there. Again, some information on that Rolex out there, not a whole lot, but certainly one to put in a collection should you be lucky enough to get your hands on one. So Max, I hope this shines a little bit of light into your questions in regards to the commando. Other than that, guys, I want to thank you for tuning in for another Q&A Tuesday. Uh, As always, uh, share this podcast uh, with those that you think may enjoy listening to this. I changed the format from a YouTube video to this, as you guys know, just in order to save a little bit of time, but at the same token, not to take away this content from my viewers that have used to seeing me on camera every single Tuesday on my YouTube channel. Guys, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next Tuesday.